0: So far in this series, we've gone through a couple of our church's values, and now it's test time. All right. Are you ready? Uh, No. I I want you to internalize these things. I want you to learn these things because this is really who we are as a church, and it helps us to have healthy guardrails to be able to know who we are and what God's called us to do and where God's calling us to go as a church. That way, when you see something that falls outside of that, you go, no, that's that's not who God has called us. Our church to be. The first one that we talked about was we keep Jesus at the center because Christ alone is the hope of the world. And the second one that we talked about last week is that we're willing to give up what we believe for the truth because Scripture alone defines truth, not our idea. So if you're wondering what we believe at Word of Grace, if you wonder what we're about, if you wonder what's important, what are the values that help us navigate the decisions and the direction that we feel God is leading us, you can look at really our top three um, values and you can really get a clear picture of who Word of Grace truly is called to be. That we keep Jesus at the center, that we're willing to give up what we believe for the truth, And today's message, we prioritize prayer, because we believe when we pray, we deepen our dependence on God. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and go over to Luke chapter 18, that's where we're going to start today, Luke 18. (coughs) We're going to look at Luke 18, 1 through 8. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. Scripture says this, verse 1, And he, he being Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, Man, there's just, there's so much packed into what we just read. There's just a ton packed into this parable. So let's exercise what we did last week by talking about, let's go and look at what the text meant to the original hearers, the original audience. Let's do that real quick so we'll have a better understanding of what the inspired intent was, and then we'll go and we'll pull out what does it mean to us today today. So you can look back at Luke chapter seventeen verse twenty for kind of the context of of what's happening here. Who Jesus is talking to, uh, why this parable was necessary, what sparked it, what made this parable necessary, what kind of motivated it to be shared. It wasn't Jesus just teaching random things, whatever he just thought you know, he wanted to teach on at the moment. It was intentional. It was in response to something that was going on. So let's look back at chapter 17 of Luke and let's look at verse 20 to just search for some clues here. Verse 20 says, being asked by the Pharisees or the religious leaders of that day, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God's not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And then he said to his disciples. So let's stop there. So we see there's a group of people that's made up of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and also the disciples of Jesus. And it's the same audience that he's talking to in chapter 18, remember that the chapter and verse divisions are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's the text that's inspired by the Holy Spirit. The chapter and verse divisions were added later for you and I to be able to reference it. So as we see here that what Jesus is talking to them about is in response to a question about the coming of the kingdom of God. Like, when is this going to happen? Like we, we, we have some questions about eternity. And so as they're asking questions about eternity, Jesus begins to address them and let them know, listen, it's not going to be the way that you think. And he's telling the religious leaders and he's telling the disciples. Now, what's the key of knowing that? It helps us in knowing that he's talking to the religious leaders and the disciples about the, coming, uh, uh, about the coming of the kingdom because it helps us to make more sense of verse 8 in chapter 18. Go back to that. After he tells us parable, he says this uh, in verse 8. Chapter 18, verse 8, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So you see, as he's talking in context about the kingdom of God, he kind of bookends it with this idea of will he find faith? And then he begins to talk about persistence in prayer. And so we see that he's letting them know this is really important to God, that you not only pray, but it's important that you be persistent in your faith, in your prayer, because he's looking for that faith in the context of the coming of the kingdom of God. We believe prioritizing prayer means we are persistent in our petition. There is a link between persistence and faith. There just is. We can see that all throughout Scripture. There is a connection between persistence and faith because we know that faith is something that is invisible, but yet there's substance to it. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things that are not yet seen. So even though it may not be visible with my eyes, there is a confidence behind it that motivates the way that I live my life. It motivates the actions that I take, and it motivates the persistence of my prayer because my confidence doesn't lie necessarily in what I am able to do, but rather it lies in what God has said He would do, what He is fully capable and able to do, and it deepens that trust that he is who he says that he is and it deepens and strengthens that by continually being persistent and praying we see this happen in the old testament with jacob wrestling with god i'm not going to let you go until you bless me we see the persistence in elijah's servant who just wouldn't take no for an answer we see the persistence in moses interceding on behalf of the israelites we see the persistence even of abraham where he was being persistent with god and there's something in a persistent pursuit that gives god glory because it's rooted and grounded in faith it's this deep conviction that we are convinced that god is good and if we keep knocking if we keep petitioning it is because we believe that god is good and because of this persistent pursuit that it deepens our dependence on God. Notice a few things here in this short parable. When uh, this woman, Jesus is trying to make a contrast here between an unrighteous judge who doesn't care about anything other than himself, really. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't fear man. He's not motivated by social pressure. He's not motivated by religious pressure. He just doesn't care. This is an indifferent judge, very focused on what he wants to do, doesn't care about anything else. An unrighteous judge, so that way, there's no motivation to why this guy would say yes to this woman's petition to have uh, uh, to see justice done uh, to this, whatever adversary, whatever situation she was going through. Uh, Jesus doesn't give us more details in the parable than the fact that she uh, needed justice. She was seeking justice from an unrighteous judge. And you notice that it was her persistence that moved the judge. And it wasn't because all of a sudden he woke up and started fearing God. It wasn't all of a sudden because he was just really feeling social pressure from the outside and he was afraid of what this woman would say about him or do. No, it was because of her persistence. And Jesus said this, and I I find this really interesting when he says this here. In uh, in, in verse 6, And the Lord says, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. He said, here, pay attention to, listen to what that unrighteous judge said. What did he say? Let's back up and see what did the unrighteous judge say. In uh, verse 4, let's see, for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, here's what Jesus wants us to listen to, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. He said, Jesus said, pay attention to that. Give, give, give notice, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Verse 7, and then he paints the contrasting picture of the perfect righteous judge, our heavenly Father, God. And he says here in verse 7, "...and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the, the earth?" So this persistent pursuit, it gives God glory. It glorifies God because it's us being confident in who he is. We see the same idea communicated when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. So back up just a few pages over to Luke chapter 11. We're going to kind of do the same thing and see a very similar uh, style of persistent pursuit. Let's just go ahead and read uh, this whole section here with the Lord's Prayer. Luke chapter 11 Let's read verse 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you; seek and you will find; knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish? will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, look, we see some similarities between the parable of this widow woman and the fact that she was seeking justice and she was petitioning this unrighteous judge. And we see some similarities of language. Instead of Jesus talking about the unrighteous judge, he's saying, you guys who are wicked, right? <laughs> he's kind of saying, you guys who, who who naturally know how to give good gifts to your children, you're, but you're wicked and you still, even though you're evil, you still know how to at least give good gifts because you're not going to give somebody a rock if they ask you for bread. I mean, that would just be really mean and Dumb. And so he paints uh, th- this, 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 this illustration to help us to see what really matters in the eyes of God. And it is this persistence, because remember, we started out in Luke chapter 11 by learning how we were supposed to pray. And then a lot of times we just stop after we finish reading the Lord's Prayer. But understand, Jesus' teaching after he was finished teaching us the Lord's Prayer was still teaching us how to pray. He was, he was still teaching. He hadn't stopped didn't all of a sudden put the brakes on that and start teaching something else. No, in context, he was still teaching how to pray. So he was trying to illustrate not only these words to give you this framework of how to approach God, but he was also showing further how persistence works how it moves the heart of God, how God wants to give you good gifts, how God wants to intervene in your life, how God moves and responds to faith and how persistence is a part of that faith. And he's trying to show us both here in this story and then he also wanted to show uh, his disciples and those religious leaders in the the parable of the story of the widow as well. It's the same idea of communicating how to pray with this persistence. That's why at Word of Grace we believe that we prioritize prayer and when we do it deepens our dependence on god it's a persistent petition because prioritizing prayer reminds us of something and here's what it reminds us of reminds us that god is good it reminds us that god is good but here's here's the the problem how do we define good This is the challenge for you and for me because you and I would define good according to what is favorable in our eyes. In other words, it's the way we want things to go. You would define maybe a good movie differently than I would define a good movie. I know that there are movies out there that when the story is told, man, the ending, it didn't work out for the guy. He didn't get the girl. The bad guy may have gotten away with more than he should have. And just like, that was a terrible movie. And some people go, that was a good movie. And I'm like, were we watching the same thing? So the definition of good has a lot of variables in what I would deem good. You see, this is why it's so important for us to understand that God alone gets to define good because He alone is good. If we who are by nature not good and the only thing good in us is Christ and the only thing that makes us good in the eyes of God is not what we've done, but rather what Christ has done, then I need to to depend on His goodness, not my goodness. Amen? Which means my definition of good is skewed because I don't see the big picture. I'm not looking from the vantage point of God. And so my definition of good, when I would question the goodness of God, I would question it based on was it a favorable outcome for me? This is the problem when it comes to the context around Philippians 4 and 13. I've had a lot of people ask me about this since the message last week because a lot of people struggle with this idea. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A lot of people struggle with this idea because they think, well, I can do all things, meaning I can pursue something or go through something difficult and on the other end of it, come out with a favorable income or or, or a favorable uh, outcome or a favorable uh, uh, thing that's gonna happen as a result Because Christ gave me the strength to persevere through it, and then all of a sudden I had this great favorable outcome. And they think that on the other end of their perseverance is getting what they want at the end of the day. And that's what some people will take and contextualize I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you look at the body of the text, that's not what he's talking about. If you read Philippians 4.13 in context, what he is saying is whether the outcome is favorable towards me or not, I can still continue to have my faith rock solid, knowing that God provides for me, knowing that he takes care of me, whether it goes the way I want it to or not. So the favorable outcome is not the thing I'm trying to pursue and ask Christ for strength to obtain. You see, in context, he's saying whether the favorable outcome happens or not, I can still continue. Why? Because Christ has given me strength. I can do all of these things. I can continue to move forward. And and then he was actually responding in context of Philippians 4.13 as giving the church in Philippi a thank you. He was actually telling them thank you for giving him a gift. Because apparently uh, he received some sort of maybe food or clothing or some items or maybe some finances, whatever the case may be. You have to understand that uh, prisons back in those days, in Paul's day, were based off of a sponsorship type system. Basically, if you had someone who was sponsoring you, then you got to have better food or you got to have clothes or whatever because it wasn't like this more humane system that we have in our jail systems today. It was much, much like kind of if you've ever seen the movie The Hunger Games, like you're out there on your own. And really, if you have a sponsor, you're probably going to do better than those that don't. And so you're heavily dependent upon other people to be able to help you while you're incarcerated. And sometimes those things would be snuck in. Sometimes they uh, the, the, the jailers would allow those things in. All those different things had to happen. And so he had received a gift while in jail from the Philippians. And he was writing them this letter saying, thank you for the gift. But he said this, he said, thank you for the gift, but I'm not speaking about the gift as if I needed the gift. I'm grateful, but I was okay without it. But I still want to be you know, cordial and thankful and let you know I got it and I appreciated it. But I'm not depending on you to keep me doing what I'm doing because you're not my source of strength. He was showing them where his source of strength was. And that's where he said, I've learned to be a base. I've learned to abound and I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. And then just a few verses later, he says, and my God who supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, he will also take care of you. So he has such confidence in God that he's saying, I'm not just getting special treatment because I'm the apostle Paul. I'm not getting special treatment just because it's me. No, I believe that if God will do it for me, I believe the same God will do it for you. So when you're in need, you can still have your strength rooted and grounded in Christ, whether things work out the way you want them to or not, whether or not you experience the favorable outcome. You see, sometimes we think, well, I'll be persistent in my prayer as long as I can get what I want. And then when I don't get what I want or it's delayed longer than I think is appropriate, I throw my hands up in the air and I go, yeah, I'm done with that prayer thing. When you're missing an opportunity to deepen your dependence on God in such a beautiful way and to be able to see the faithfulness in the hand of God and to know that what He does give you is good and what He doesn't give me also is still good. Because he alone is good. And when I pray, and when I put my hope and my trust in him, it deepens my faith to where when things come against me, it may not be going the way I want, but I can still be anchored in the hope that he is good. And I know that his word is not going to fail me because this life on this earth, this existence is not the goal. You see, God is looking at eternity. You and I are looking at temporal comfort. You and I are looking at temporal winds. You and I are looking at, you know, I mean, I don't care, you know, uh, what happens in, in my life. Good things, bad things, it, it's going to be just this fleeting moment. Now, God cares about those things, yes, and He intervenes in those situations, yes. But when He does, it is for His glory, and it is oftentimes in response to faith it may be in response to persistence but whether or not i experience that outcome here on this earth or not it doesn't change the fact that he's good he's still good i'm not going to give you some formula to be able to get everything you want from god anytime that you want it because that's not how this thing works if it worked that way And and if all it took was for you just to give more money in the offering or if all it took was for you just to quote more scriptures or for you to just have more faith, then you would have no problems on this earth at all. I got a whole lot of scriptures I got a whole lot of problems with at that point that talk about suffering, that talk about challenges, that talk about character being produced as a result and hope being produced as a result and God being glorified and sharing in the sufferings with Christ. And and I got a whole lot of, I got a whole lot of texts that I don't know what to do with at that point. If we're just, I mean, just think about it. Think about it. I mean, can we reason together for a moment? Everyone that Jesus in his earthly ministry ever performed a miracle for, they all died. (laughs) Everybody, everybody's dead. Okay. (laughs) Oh, thanks for being so chipper today, Pastor. Right. Everyone Jesus ever intervened in their temporal life, no matter if they, were, if they were wealthy, if they were poor, if they were healthy, if they were sick, if they were even blind before, if they were lame, they're all dead. Which means that those things that happened in this lifetime were for the glory of God. And they were good, yes. But the greater good would be that we would be in eternity with Him forever. Is that not the greater good? Should that not be where my confidence and my hope lies? Is that I'm putting my hope and my trust in Christ alone? And that I'm trusting in His goodness and I'm petitioning Him. And I'm knocking and I'm asking and I'm trusting that He's good and He's showing Himself faithful both now in my life and also in eternity you see prioritizing prayer reminds us that god is good and he gets to define what is good and we need to understand that whether i get my way or not when i get it when i want it or not because there's something bigger going on and and look at what jesus said uh, over back in the first thing that we read in, in, in luke 18 what was the context Do you remember the context it was in light of eternity. That's what he was talking about. He, he, he was talking about something bigger than our earthly existence. He was talking about the kingdom of God, which, which, which yeah, part of this we, we get to experience here on this earth, but this earth is not the goal. Our life lived on this earth is to be lived for the glory of God. So the things that I experience here on earth, God, I want them to be for your glory, and I want it to point other people to Jesus. Whether I win or not, whether things happen the way I want them to or not, whether I'm able to be comfortable in certain situations, or whether I may be struggling, Lord, you are still you are still good. He doesn't stop being good just because of a prayer that gets told no to. Amen. Um, he doesn't stop being good um, just because Uh, I thought I followed all of the steps in the formula and it still didn't work out the way that I had thought. He doesn't stop being good. See, that was a big problem that I had um, when I became an adult um, with the way that I was raised because uh, a a lot of the things I was taught as a child and in in the systems that I was brought up in, uh, I was taught that I was basically not supposed to experience anything bad. And if I experienced anything bad, it was because either I didn't have enough faith or I wasn't giving enough in the offering. One of those two, you know. And so we would try to give our way in order to get from God. We thought we had to behave a certain way. We had to act a certain way. We had to live a certain way. And if we did all the things just right, if we checked all the boxes, then God would go, yep, mm -hmm, yep, you got that one. Yep, oh, look at that offering. That's great. That's awesome. Okay, boom, here you go. Blessing for you. And it was this exchange system. And we called it faith. And, and, and it wasn't really it a selfish motivation for me to want to make my life easy when Jesus promised me the opposite. He said, don't you know that people are going to hate you and it's going to be my fault? <laughs> we didn't talk about those scriptures. <laughs> and we just talked about the ones we liked. And, and that's, that's the thing when it comes to prayer. And, it, and when we remind ourselves that it is God who gets to define good, not you, not me. He alone gets to define what is good. That should give us confidence in God. That's the problem with this world, you guys, is that we're still in the Garden of Eden in our minds where we have this choice and we can choose to trust that God is good because really if Adam and Eve would have followed and trusted the Lord and wouldn't have given in to the temptation of the serpent, what they would have rested in and trusted in was the goodness of God. Because what did God do? He provided for them everything that they needed. He surrounded them with beauty. He surrounded them with everything they needed. And, and all they had to do was tend and, and just take care of it and name some animals and just enjoy it. Be in the presence of God. And it was it was beautiful. There was no death, there was no sin. There's everything they needed. But the one thing that the serpent got them to question, was the goodness of God. Because the serpent was basically saying, if God were really good, he wouldn't tell you not to eat from this other tree because he knows that if you eat that, you're actually going to be like him. And so if you touch that, if you eat that, yeah, you're, you're, you're not going to die. Actually, your eyes are going to be opened. God's holding out on you. He's not really good. He hasn't really given you everything that you needed because if he would, he would have given you this too but he told you to stay away from that. That's not fair. You see, it's the same thing we deal with today. It's wanting to define goodness for ourselves. It's wanting to define what's good in our own terms. It's still taking of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and saying, no, I want to choose instead of saying, no, what God says is good and who God is is good And I want to live in that beauty, which is so much more vast, so much more expansive, so much safer, healthier, and better for me if I will exist trusting in him instead of going my own way. But every time I just go, man, I I don't know if that's good or not, because I want to choose what good is. And then we do what Romans chapter 1 says, where we begin to want to conform God into our own image. And we want to make him in our own image and make him after the likeness of man because we don't like the way he is on his own because it doesn't fit our parameters because we get to choose what's good. And this is where people struggle when they want to decide for themselves how God should behave, how God should act, how God should react. And a lot of times we'll base it on what's happening in society What's happening in our culture? Well, you know, I don't really understand. I mean, I want to have my cake and eat it too. So I guess God is like, you know, for you to want to accept him, he's got to be this way, so we'll make God cool. We'll make God modern. We'll make God fit into the context of culture. We'll make God submit to our ways and justify all the things that he says that he's not that way, but we can work around that because after all, we do it all, we blanket it all with this and and we have a total perversion of this word. We blanket it all with, well, well, you know, God's really loving. So if God's really loving, then how could he do this or be this? What are we doing? We're making God in our own image because we're also defining love The Bible doesn't say, I get to choose what love is. The Bible actually says verbatim, God is love. (laughs) So God is good. God is love. Therefore, God gets to decide what love and good looks like because it's who he is. It's his nature. When you and I start to try to rationalize God in order to fit our culture, in order to fit our context, we're basically saying, no, God, I don't trust you. You see, when I pray, it deepens that trust. It reminds me God is love. It reminds me God is good. And guess what? He's not going to fit within my framework because it's not my framework that gets to dictate the goodness of God. He's so much better. Don't you see the parallels Jesus is trying to draw? Don't you see the contrasting statements of the goodness of God that he's trying to draw and how he's showing? There's a judge. He, he's, man. He's, he's just a jerk. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't fear man, and he still is going to listen to this woman's request. No, don't you know? Luke eleven. He says it's like a friend. Like you go to his house at midnight. I have friends. Don't come to my house at midnight and ask for bread. I live far away. I might throw like some sandwich bread at you, like whack, hit you in the head with it. Why are you waking us up for bread? What do you think ahead? Why don't you go to the store yourself? Oh man, this company just came. I wasn't ready for them. Like I got some people from out of town and I, apparently bread is the customary way to say I'm glad you're here. Have a slice of bread. Here's a hard roll. I don't know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but he said, You guys understand that that, that you can give good gifts to your children. If someone's persistent, you'll 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 say yes to to them because because at the end of the day, it's my friend. I love this person. Yeah, here, I'll give this to you, even though you inconvenienced me, even though you're, you're. But it's that persistence. No, it's yeah. I love you, man. I'll do this. He's he's drawing these contrasts. He's showing us. He said, "How much more then? How much more then?" Is your heavenly Father going to hear? How much more is your heavenly Father going to be able to give you the, the Holy Spirit if you ask? Are you asking? Are you asking? Are you trusting? Because He knows how to give the good and perfect gifts because He's good. You see, prioritizing prayer helps us to discern the will of God. It helps us to see the will of God in operation in our lives because I'm being persistent and it deepens my trust, it deepens my faith. And when I pray according to the scriptures, when I see the truth of the word of God, when I begin to pray according, Lord, Lord, according to your will, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help me to see that, help me to discern that, help me to know who you are and help me to trust through it all that you're good, lest I fall into the category of trying to define good or define love in my own terms, on my own terms, or in whatever my friends would think, what my family would think, what I selfishly would want. You see, if we're not careful, we begin to paint God in the light of Santa Claus, where we just think, oh, he's gonna give me something out of his bag of goodies. And we begin to treat him and act like, that's, that's the relationship. It, it's, it's just pretty much a, we receive from him just because, I mean, he's love. And so, I mean, it, my definition of love, you're just going to give me whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. Because, man, if someone did that to me all the time, I would say, that joker loves me. <laughs> when we know, those of you who are parents understand something, that you say no to your children because you know what is good for them. Because in my own immaturity as a child, I would think, after I had just gotten a bunch of candy on Christmas, it's good for me to eat it all right now. In, in, in my value system as a child, why would that not be good? I mean, it's mine. You gave it to me. It was in my stocking or whatever. I should have it all now. Yes. Yes. No, you can't have it all now. Well, it's mine. And I would argue and try to rationalize. And then I would question the goodness of my parents. Because that didn't sound good to me. That didn't sound fair to me. But when you're on the side of maturity, you begin to go, you know what? (laughs) I get it now. That was wise. Because how many of you have ever done this? Have you ever done? Oh, don't raise your hand. Just don't. <clears throat> have you ever done something for your kids that you thought would be awesome to do when you had kids that you weren't allowed to do when you were a kid? Like you said, well, when I have kids, I'm going to let them do all of this. They're going to stay up this late. I had this horrible bedtime as a kid. We're, man, when I have kids, and we make all these promises to ourselves, and then when we experience parenthood ourselves and we try that out, normally normally those ideas backfire don't they oh yeah i'm not doing that again eat all the candy you want i remember when i was a kid i want to eat all the candy oh i gotta clean up what at 2 a.m yeah that's not a good idea why actually it's me being loving and being good to also recognize when that's not good And I would be a good parent. If if I just let my kids stay up, do whatever they want, eat whatever they want, you would go, man, I don't know if that guy's a good parent or not. But when you see me putting those healthy guardrails in place, when I'm dealing with people who are immature, people who are selfish, people who are not seeing the big picture, are, are you following me here today? And I am the more mature one in the relationship, and I'm the one with the authority and the responsibility and I'm the one who has that authority to grant those requests or the one to withhold those things or to delay those things, then I do those things. And people say, wow, that is a responsible parent. That's someone who would be a good parent. And we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children. And we also, being good parents, also still at our core, at ourselves struggling with selfishness, we even see the right opportunities to withhold. So we need to remember God is good and when I prioritize prayer it helps me discern the will of God. Go over to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to wrap it up right here. 1 John 5. We're going to read a healthy portion of Scripture. Um, It's one thing when you come to Word of Grace you should know that you're going to read some Scripture. Amen? And that is a great thing. All right, 1 John chapter 5, let's read this here, and we're going to read the bulk of this text, and the reason I want to read the bulk of this text is so it will help us contextualize the intent, all right? Let's do this, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not know life. Verse 13. So I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. You see, in this bulk of text, and it's important, it's important to read this bulk of text, man, because if we just pull out those last couple of verses that we read, we could tread into some dangerous territory if we're not careful. The reason we can have confidence in god and confidence that he hears us is because through faith listen through faith we have been justified or made right in the eyes of god and we are now children of god not only do we have confidence that he hears us when we pray but more importantly we have confidence that we're going to spend eternity with him i mean come on come on The confidence that we have is is in the one who we know has made us right in the eyes of God because we've believed in him. That's, That's what he's saying there. It's what John's trying to communicate, that we can have confidence. And our confidence is solely resting on Jesus. And that same faith is the same type of faith and persistence that we should approach him with. That we should prioritize prayer in our lives that it should be a lot bigger deal, I think, than we've made it. Where we communicate with God, where we intercede on behalf of other people, where we make our requests known to Him, and then where we also are willing to pray for other people, where we're willing to just commune and talk and interact with our good Heavenly Father, because we get to do that here on this earth but the greater joy is that we get to have that communion with god for all eternity that is the greater good and when we pray according to his word according to his will asking lord in your name we know we have confidence because we're we're children of god we have confidence that that he hears us And if we have confidence and know that He hears us when we pray, we should know that He answers us according to His will. And we should be resting in that. We should be persistent in that. It's part of the marker of faith, man, the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for when He returns. You, You remember chapter 18 of Luke, verse 8? Jesus ended that parable by saying, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith? like this woman was persistent with this unrighteous judge but you know what e- even though she was able to have that, that situation remedied he said man will the son of man will he find faith that's what he's looking for don't get weary in well-doing i know that a lot of you you, you jumped on board man with, when we, we went through our prayer series back in, what was it, like November or something of 2019, and I got all excited, yeah, we're going to pray, and then, you know, I'm like going on social media, and I'm saying, let's get this Echo Prayer app, and everyone like, well, I'm going to get the Echo Prayer app, and praying every day. Mm, maybe not, <laughs> because you can get weary, because you can go, does this work? Does this matter? Is this important? Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna make prayer a priority because I, uh, our church prioritizes prayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 prioritize prayer, but man, it gets sometimes we just feel like we're we're getting weary and we we want to give up. Can I tell you, don't get weary in well doing. Can I encourage you today with those two stories in Luke of persistence? Can I encourage you today by having confidence that He does hear you when you pray? Can I encourage you today to Pick up that mantle of prayer again. God may be calling some of you to deeper places of prayer where He's actually given you a, a, a gift and a burden of regular a Holy Spirit led intercession. And you've gotten weary. And I, can I encourage you today in the Lord that it is in His strength that you were able to do this? And it's the Holy Spirit prompting you and leading you and, and 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 if you say yes to that don't you think that he's going to provide everything that you need to do what it is he's created you to do it's not up to you it's not on you he's not going oh no i hope they can do it no he's he's prompting you he's empowering you he's gifting you he's leading you because he wants everything to be pointed to how great he is so maybe god may even put things on your heart to pray for and to intercede for when you're actually at your weakest or when you feel like things are falling around you can i encourage you today to say yes because i believe it's in those moments that his strength can be made perfect through our weakness it's in those moments that he can be glorified he's just looking for people who will take up that mantle of prayer who will prioritize it who will say yes because eternity is in mind and we want to be persistent and we want to deepen our trust in God and we want to say yes to Him. And I want you to say yes to Him every day in your prayer life in those moments when you're inspired to pray. We prioritize prayer. So Lord, help us to do this. We can't do this on our own. We can't do this in our own strength. So help us to be a people who praise. Help us to be a church who prays. Who's deepening our dependence on you because... We want to remind ourselves today in this moment that you are good, that you are love, and that you get to define those things all on your own. Help us to trust that. Help us to deepen our dependence on you in Jesus' name. Amen.